honor, the glory, the praise, the adoration. We magnify you, we bless you, we praise you, we exalt you. How excellent is your name in all of the earth. Oh, Jesus, we bless you tonight. We thank you for paying the ultimate price for our redemption. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for establishing us. Thank you for your plans for us. Plans of peace and not of evil. To bring us to expected end. Oh, we bless your name. Thank you, Father. We honor you. We praise you. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for your presence in our midst. He said, where two or three of us are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst. So now, Lord, our Savior, our Master, our Supreme, we welcome you into our presence. Have your way in us, through us, upon us. Delight yourself. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you. We thank you for the anointing of God upon the word of God, that you will reveal yourself in and to us through the sharing of your word. We bless you for every man and every woman who has come to catch a new and fresh revelation of who you are. Thank you, Father God. We honor and we praise you now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, please be seated. This is day number two of this 21-day fast. We're glad to see you here. We're just going to flow quickly into the word now from John chapter 2. Last night, we covered John chapter 1. And as I said to you at the beginning, we've never been this way before. But we're trusting God every night. That because this is what he has ordered, he'll be here to guide us. Last night in John chapter 1, we saw clearly that Jesus is the Son of God. And that not only is he the Son of God, he is God. He's the light of the world. And is the creator of the earth and the universe, really. And everything that was made, he made them. So tonight we're going to move on to chapter 2. John chapter 2. And what I'm going to do is just read a, a portion of scripture and then come back and uh, uh, see what God is saying to us through it. John chapter 2 verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. This must be where Nike got their slogan. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and he filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. 
this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So let's just stop there and just unpack this, <clears throat> this little bit. So here we are, Jesus' first public ministry since we saw him at the baptism John chapter, in John chapter 1. I think it's very instructive to note that he chose to be at a wedding for his very first public appearance. Right away, Jesus is saying to us, endorsing for us the institution that God began way back in Genesis. After the creation of the entire earth, the very next thing God did back in Genesis was bring a man and a woman together. So now, here is Jesus, who is the Son of God, the Word of God, and in fact, he is God, comes on the public scene, and the first time we see him, since his baptism, since he was introduced to the world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is at, as as at a marriage. Now, that should speak very much to all of us. We need to understand that God is putting his stamp of approval on the institution and nothing that man does, whether you, they want to call it same-sex marriage or Steve and Steve or Eve and Eve or whatever, it's not going to remove what God has planned, what his intention is, and what he intends to see at the end of the day. Marriage as defined by God, between a man and a woman, has come to stay. Nothing our society will do will take that away. So Jesus here appears in the wedding. Second of all, it is interesting that he chose a place like Cana of Galilee, not Las Vegas, not Buckhead, a tiny, obscure village. If you will, an out-of-the-road town. That's where he chose. And he went. Also, we see in this story, as we are unpacking this passage, that the mother of Jesus was a prominent person at the wedding. You can see that from the way she was introduced. In John chapter 2, in that verse 1, we are told, on the third day there was a wedding in the king of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. She was not invited. She was there. That, seeks to, that, that, that helps us to think, that she must have been very, very prominently connected with the wedding. There are various speculations as to why that is so. I don't want to get into all of that because it really does not engender to any good but speculation. But she was there. So she was playing a key role. But Jesus and his disciples were invited. God help us to invite Jesus into our place of abode, into our homes, into our businesses, into our businesses. Amen? So he was invited, so he went. Now, let's go back. In verse 3, they ran out of wine. And the mother, because of the role she was playing at the, at the wedding, immediately went to Jesus and said, listen, they're, not, they're out of wine. I wonder how she knew that Jesus could do something about it. Given the fact that Jesus, up to now, had not done any miracle. But I'm just thinking in my mind's eye, 18 years previously, when on the way back from the temple, Jesus was missing in a convoy on the way back home. 
and they had to face their steps back and finally recovered him at the temple and they had a little conversation and the mother was saying son don't you understand that my father your father and i were anxiously looking for you and he had to let the mother know something that day wish you not that i must be about my father's business and the bible said they were they, from that moment forward they began to really think about what he said so i'm sure many 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 days many times since that episode jesus has said things done things at home that just marveled and said this kid is a special one this one is not just a regular john doe this child has the mark of god upon him so she went to him and said they have no wine and of course jesus replied and said woman don't you understand my hour has now come now this is all a play of words they're playing they're playing with words here back and forth but notice mary even though this entire fast is emphasizing the person of jesus christ i don't want us to miss those people around him that made him him even though jesus told mary my hour is not did mary listen to that she just simply turned around and told the servants whatever i says to you guys just do it <laughs> i pray that god will give us the confidence of mary that we will look at situations and hear things and in spite of what we're hearing, in spite of what we're seeing, we can know the desire of God, the mind of God, and we know that God will do certain things and no matter what you do, God is going to do it and just say, you know what, do it. Yes. She just turned around and told the servants, I know what he said, but I know what he will do. When he's ready to do it, just be sure you act promptly. Right. Amen? Verse 6. Now there was said six water pots of stone let, let, let me okay let, let, let me finish that and come back to this now so so the mother said whatever jesus says to do just do it and jesus then looked at those servants and gave them instructions he said fill the water pots to the brim so here we have jesus's mother who will not be denied and next we have the servants who are there who understands that one is too small a number to achieve significance. They were there. Jesus did not need them. Jesus could have multiplied and put wine in a pot without the servants. But it has so pleased God that whatever God does and whenever God moves, he employs man to participate so that we can share in the glory and the joy and the satisfaction and say, yeah, I was there. I had a little bit to do with it. God helped you and I not to miss the day of our visitation. When God asks us to do something or be involved in something, it's not because God is Sinai. It's not because he has no power to do it on its own. It's just a joy in his heart to say, you know what? I did it and Greg was part of it. I did it and this was a part of it. That's what God is looking for. And those servants did not miss it. He said to them, fill the pots with water. And notice, the Bible says, and they filled them up to the brim. This is important. These little details are important. Because Jesus knew what he was about to do. He was not going to give any room for any man's mind or imagination to come back and say, you know what, they just fill it halfway and maybe they pour some wine on top of it. No. Fill it to what? The brim. Completely filled with water. Now, Thank God for these servants who hear instructions and don't change it. I gave a message here months ago about faithfulness. 
Faithfulness is doing exactly what you're told to do the way you're told to do it. You don't change it midstream. You don't say, well, well, I don't know. Maybe they missed this. And no, 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 no. Being faithful means you've discharged your duty the way it was given. So for these servants, they obeyed Jesus to the letter, filled the pot to the brim. Next, Jesus tells them, draw from that water pot now and take it to the master of the wedding. Don't taste it. Just go and give it. In this society, we have no idea what just happened. Because back in the day, if you are going to take wine to the master of the feast, and you are telling him this is wine, and he tastes that thing and it's water, you just made a big fool of yourself. So the servants had to have had absolute trust that the Jesus who sent them on an errand to draw what they knew was water, because they put the water in the water pot, and I'll take it and tell the man this is wine. Very, very important. When God gives us an assignment, do we second guess it? Do we try to change it and think perhaps God, mm, I know what you said today, but I don't think it's going to work like that. My friends, the manifestation is in the obedience. Always. It's not what you and I can figure out. It's not what we can think or unpack or understand. They did not understand it. They don't know what's going on. All they know is what? Their servants. And servants obey their masters. Amen? And to the glory of God, they obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. They took the water and the water became wine. So God validated himself. And he did so by engaging the servants to participate with him. Now let's, look, let's observe certain things in what's happening here. Let's observe certain things. Number one, when did this miracle happen? When? And the answer is very simple. At a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the point I want to make here is, I want all of us to recognize that Jesus was perfectly at home at a wedding feast. Many, many religious people, many traditional religious folks who don't want to say to you that for you to be a child of God, you cannot participate in anything like this. Okay, let me say it again. Jesus had no problems whatsoever in being in the party. That bird is flying. I hope it's going to land on. He was completely at home. Not only that, he just did not go to his wedding ceremony. He went to the feast. The reason we are doing what we're doing this 21 days is we want to know Jesus. We want to know him as the Bible describes him. Not my... What, not the figment of my imagination. Not what I'm imagining him to be. You and I, ordinarily, would not imagine Jesus to be at a party. Jesus was not a severe or killjoy type individual. He did not count it a crime to be happy. And already, you, you, some of you guys are having serious problems. I can see it on your faces. Because for you being a Christian to wear a sad face, serious, deep thinking, deep looking all the time, and that's why the world can receive us. So if Jesus can be happy, if he can be joyous, if he can be fun at a feast, if he can display emotion, 
in a way that people can connect and relate to him. What's wrong with us? Hallelujah. Now, I did not say that Jesus went there and got drunk. Because I, I, I can almost see some of you say, okay, yes. When I go out, when I go to the next feast, I'm going to order 1989 French, whatever it is. No, no, no. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. It was very comfortable being with people. It was very comfortable in a celebrative, festive mood. It was not hung up. It was not a sad Sam. It was a joyous man. Amen? That's number one observation. Number two observation. Where did it happen? So we know it happened at the wedding. That's number one. Number two now, where did it happen? It happened at home, at a home in Cana. This wedding took place at a home in Cana of Galilee. And the point I'm trying to make here is that the Bible consistently speaks of Jesus in various home settings. Thus bringing God into the ordinary things of life. Jesus' action at Cana of Galilee shows what he thought of a home. This is big. Okay? Uh, whenever I travel for two or three weeks at a time, there's always a longing to want to return home, get back in your own bed, be in your own environment, home, 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 no matter how great the trips are, the ministry time is, nice hotels. After a while, you begin to long, long back to want to be at home. All of us, admittedly, would like to be at home. There is no place more precious than home in all of the world. And yet, at the same time, if we are honest, we will also admit that being at home, we claim a right to be mean, nasty, and discourteous. We claim a right to be selfish, impolite, than we will dare be to a stranger on the outside. Okay, let, 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 me, let, me, let me bring that home. For most of us in this room, I have never seen you get upset, be rude, impolite, selfish, or any of the sort. Uh, because, you, because you will not come out in public and do it. But when you enter, when you unlock the key to your house, and you open that door, God help the first or two people that come and talk to you. You're home. So home, that should be a place of celebration, a place of glory, a place of honor, a place of love and affection. All of a sudden, we begin to see that in reality for many of us, it's the opposite. So Jesus is in the house here. And he wants to put his stamp and his approval on that platform and that setting of what home should be. Bringing a great God, an extraordinary, supernatural God into an ordinary setting. Into the setting of your kitchen. Into the setting of your living room area. Into the setting of your bedroom. To let you understand that he attaches a vital importance to our home setting. So, therefore, we should endeavor to treat the ones we love, the ones we love most in a way that we will never dare to treat. No, no, no. What, this is what I wrote down. We treat the ones we love in a way that we will never dare to treat an acquaintance. That's true. People that we love, we take it for granted. We mistreat them right in the house. 
and we step out of the doghouse and you see a stranger. Oh, man, how are you doing? It's good to see you today. And you didn't say that the person doesn't at home. Hello? That's not what Jesus wants. So often, it is strangers who see us at our best. And those who live with us see us at our worst. We should remember from what we're sharing tonight that it was in a humble home that Jesus manifested forth his glory. To him, home was a place for which nothing but his best was good enough. The home was a place where nothing but his best was good enough. Now, we've talked about when it happened. It was, in a home. It was at Cana, at the wedding. Where did it happen in the home? Quickly now, let's talk about why this miracle happened. Why? Why did it happen? It happened to save a humble family from embarrassment. Oh, I pray that God will help us tonight. I don't know what your situation is that potentially can create an embarrassment for you or your household. But I want you to know, Jesus is in the house. He's in the house. He's in the house. He's, he, he, in fact, I'm almost certain that this was one of the reasons for which he went to the wedding. He was invited? Yes. But I'm sure on his schedule, he had to look, okay, I have this invitation. I have that invitation. I can be here, there, or there. In this place at Cana, they're going to need me. I know this family. They are going to need my ministry. I'm going to go to this one. If that is you tonight, I want you to know Jesus is accepting your invitation. And he's on his way to turn your embarrassment into your triumph in the name of Jesus. Notice what happened. They ran out of wine. And there are six water pots, the Bible says. Now, not only did the Jews have the law of God that came down through Moses, but these Jewish elders to show you how their mindset was. They said, you know, some of these laws of God are good, but it's not sufficient. It didn't cover everything. God must have forgotten something. So they added their own to those laws. It's true. You can read it in Talmud. And so for this water pot, for a Jewish setting, they were there always filled with water because water was needed in every home for two main reasons. Number one reason, so that when a visitor or a guest or even a resident comes back home, you had water to wash your feet. Because if it's dusty and dry, your feet will carry the dust. So you washed your feet. But if it's a wet season when it's raining, because they didn't have paved roads like we do today, there'll be mud on your feet. So water was also used to wash the mud of the feet. That's one use. Second use was, the water was also used to clean the hands before eating. Now, you, you, if you've never been in this setting, you really have no idea what kind of yoke these guys put on people, these Jewish elders. Not only must you wash your hands before you eat, you must wash them in between courses. So you have your appetizer, you've washed before the appetizer. Now the main entree is coming. Oh, you must remember, to go, because if you don't wash, you're unclean. Okay. So you wash before the appetizer, you wash before the main entree, you wash before the dessert, and on and on and on it went. So that's why they had these water pots always in the houses. Now, it is interesting that the Bible tells us there were six of them. 
So Jesus now is wanting, is, he wants to perform this miracle. And he zeroes in on this water pots. Six in number, which according to Jewish traditional laws, six is an finished and imperfect number. And symbolically, it represented the laws of these elders. So Jesus is saying, okay, this is your law that is unfinished and imperfect. I'm going to do something with it now. So he zeroes in on that and creates a miracle, turning the water into wine, thereby saying to them, I, according to what we read in John chapter 117, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he did that by replacing their law with a new dispensation of the gospel of grace and a new wine that only comes forth in God. And by so doing, sets aside what their laws were and replaces that with the perfection of his grace and his love. Oh, hallelujah. Showing us in and through that how the grace of God and the spirit of God and the love of God will always discard and make almost useless all the traditions of man. Now, notice in that passage, the Bible says that each one of these water pots can take up to 20 to 30 gallons. This is what really blows me away. 20 to 30 gallons each. If we took the lower number, 20 gallons, times 6, that's 120 gallons. If you took the higher number, that would be 30 times 6, that's 180 gallons. In any wedding, 180 gallons of wine was over the top in abundance. What's Jesus trying to say to you? You may have come into this equation with a shortage. You may have potentially been in a position of embarrassment. But by the time Jehovah, <laughs> the God of heaven, gets involved in your situation, what seemed to be a deficit, what seemed to be a shortage, what was a lack in your life, by the time his grace gets involved in it, he will turn it around and not only multiply it, but do it in such a way that everybody that's looking will say, wait a minute, we have more than enough. And that's the God I'm introducing to you tonight. Jesus, the God of more than enough. When you connect with Jesus Christ, your situation will not just struggle and barely get along. You will have more than enough. That's what grace does. It be more than sufficient unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above that which we're able to think or ask according to the power of God that's at work in us. Did Mary have an idea that by saying they have no wine, they could have an abundance? Mary would have been sufficient with a cup, a glass, a bucket. But she did not know she was tapping into something far bigger, far gracious, far abundant than what she could ever think or ask. And I'm saying to you tonight, Jesus did not do that as a one-time miracle. That same source. The Bible says Jesus Christ did the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That same source that produced an abundance will do it for you as well. That's the kind of God we serve. It's amazing to me. Because in the rest of his ministry, 
when they multiplied the loaves, what happened? They had more than enough. And they collected 12 baskets of leftover. And you're going to tell me that God does not know you are in need. You're going to tell me God does not know your situation. You're going to tell me that God is not able to take care of that which committed to him. That's a lie. That's not my God. Let every man be a liar. And God be true. Over the top abundance. That's what God has in store for us. Let me quickly wrap up this chapter. And then we're going to pray. Verse 13, John chapter 2. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in a temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Let me just stop right there and just unpack this. So we went from this highlight of Jesus being a blessing to a family to this next point now where he goes into the temple and cleans the place out. Now, just so you know, there are various, uh, in the various, the other books of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all see it a little differently in the sense that some of them said that Jesus went to the temple twice and did this twice, and others said he did it just once. Uh, I, I won't get into that, but I just want you to be aware of that. Uh, I, I will not imagine him doing this two times. And the reason is, once those elders see him coming the second time, They know what he did to them the first time. <laughs> Everybody pack and go. I mean, that's, let's just leave that alone. <laughs> a discussion for another day. But the point here is, so now he goes to the temple and he observes what's going on there. And the Bible said, he made a whip of cords. Which means he just didn't get a whip. He had to deliberately sit down or stand up and make it. He had enough time to think through what he's about to do. This is not like me and you, where you get home, you observe your child, you just grab someone else. No. This was well planned. This, if this was a court case, this is what we call premeditation. But why did he do it? Three reasons. Three reasons. Number one, you need to understand at that time the Jews lived all over the world. And on this feast of Passover, they are the most significant most important feast of the Jews. All the Jews will come from all over the world and come to Jerusalem to celebrate. Just like many of us will go away to our homelands for Christmas. Similar. And when they came to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover, they came with all the foreign currencies that they spent all over the world where they lived. In the temple, there was only one currency that was certified and acceptable to God. It's called the shackle of the sanctuary. That's it. That's the only money you can spend in the temple for your offerings, to buy your sacrifices, the shackle of the, uh, of the sanctuary. So what will happen is, these pilgrims came and because they brought foreign currency, they needed to exchange what they brought to the shackle of the sanctuary so they have something to give or spend while they were there in the temple. And the Talmud the Jewish Talmud, their law, recognized the role of money changers and had a law that allowed them to exchange money for a small profit, which was designated. But what did these money changers do? 
They realized that these foreigners were coming. They were vulnerable. They didn't have anywhere else to go. So instead of the small profit that was designated in the law, they extorted more. So that was going on. On the other hand, because these guys traveled into Jerusalem for the feast, most times they cannot bring their own dove turtles. They cannot bring their own oxen. They cannot bring their own sheep. It's too hard to travel with those animals. So the temple had a provision where they sold all of those things on the spot. What did the traders do? A dove that should be four pence on the outside, they sold it for 75 pence in the temple. On top of that, their law provided for inspectors who had to inspect every animal sacrifice to make sure it made, it made the criteria, the standard. No blemish. And that it just made the standard. Well, the inspectors, guess who paid them? The elders paid them. They were hired by the elders. So every animal that was bought outside of the temple, the inspectors automatically failed them. They didn't pass. <laughs> to make sure that they purchased the one in the temple, which was much higher. So Jesus is watching all of this. Thirdly, and this is most critical, if you read the other passages, Mark 11, I believe in verse 27, it says, you have made my house uh, a house of peace, when it should be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, in the past, I used to read that and think that it meant that the Jews prayed for all nations, but that's not true. What he was saying was, this section, this house, is the place where the foreigners, nationals, whose heart I'm touching, can come and are welcome to come and pray. So the only place that was designated for foreigners to pray in Israel, the Jewish elders desecrated it with the noise and the rambling of trading that was taking place. So these foreigners will come. They had no place to worship. So Jesus looks at all of this. The extortion taking place. The desecrating of his father's house. And the fact that the foreigners who were away from God, that God is trying to reach, cannot even worship because of the greed and the covetousness of his people. He said, no, this will not take a preaching. I need to get me a whip and up, overturn their tables and whip them and send them out of the sanctuary. That's why he did that. What does that show us? It shows you and I the zeal that God has for his house. And when I say the house, I'm not talking about this physical building alone. You are the house of God. He will not stop at anything to remove anything that offends in your life. Because he wants to have him a pure house. A house that is fully, totally consecrated to him. That's the Jesus you serve. Can we just stand to our feet? I want us to pray at least two or three prayer points here. You see, I find it very interesting the way John chapter 2 began and the way it ended. Two major things we saw in this chapter. First one, we saw the miracle of turning the water into wine. If you will, we can call that a conversion. Water became wine. Water became, became converted to wine. But look at the second thing he did. A cleansing. He cleansed the temple. And notice the order. First there was a conversion before there was a cleansing. You see, you cannot cleanse that which has not been converted. I believe that's part of the problem for many of us. We are trying to live a cleansed life and we have not gone through a thorough 
conversion. We presume a conversion, but we don't have the, the, the fruit of conversion, and therefore, cleansing becomes difficult. Because God never ordained sanctification before justification. There must always be a justification before you can get into sanctification. In John chapter 2, there was a conversion. So my question to us tonight, are we converted? Are we truly converted? This is not a mind thing. This is a real deal. A relationship of the heart. Whereby we have come to that place where we believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything he has done. Including the forgiveness of our sins. And so forth and so on. It's a real deal. Because unless that is settled, the effort to be cleansed, to be like him, will be a futile activity that can never happen. Cleansing is only built on conversion. I'm going to let you resolve that on your own. Now, four things I want us to pray. Number one, let us pray tonight that God will bring the joy back into our homes as he did in that home in Cana of Galilee. Because I'm sure the bells of joy was ringing after those guys had a supply of grace and had abundance until they had too much to give away. So let's just pray. Let's just lift our voice to God tonight. Let's just ask God. Let's ask him. Let's ask him. Let's ask God tonight for our homes to become a center of joy and bubbling. Let's ask God that joy and gladness be the portion of our homes and our families. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you tonight for your grace, for your love, for your faithfulness, your mercies that endure forever. And we pray specifically that the same joy that visited our home in Cana of Galilee, that caused the joy of God to be seen and manifested in that home, that that same joy will visit every home here represented tonight in the name of Jesus, that joy and gladness and bubbling will be our passion in the name of Jesus. Amen. Second point, let us pray that God will save you and I from anything that can cause an embarrassment for us. Maybe a house that's been lost, a car that's been repossessed, a job that's been lost, whatever it is, anything that the enemy will bring into your house, into your life, to cause an embarrassment. We, in the name of Jesus, can stop it. We can pray about it. We can receive the grace of God in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you tonight for your grace. We bless your name for your word has been written. And we thank you and take a stand, a position upon the word of God that you that has begun a good work in us, you will finish and perfect it in the name of Jesus. That every plan of the enemy to embarrass us, to put us to shame. We stand in opposition against it tonight. We say, no way. We receive your grace into that situation. Every position of embarrassment, we turn around in the name of Jesus. We thank you for our deliverance in that situation. And we bless your name for the glory that is being revealed in and through it. Overturn the captivity in the loss of your people. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Next, I want to just pray that the glory of God would descend upon your homes, that your homes will be a center of spiritual activity where the praise, where the praise of God will go forth, where the glory of God 
will be all evident. People will come to your home and sense an overpowering feeling that the presence of God is all over the house. Let's release his glory in your house right now. And so, Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you that your glory that is tangible, that can be seen, will descend upon every home, every house, in the name of Jesus, that your presence will be run about our homes as the mountains is run about Jerusalem, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let your glory be upon our houses. Let your glory be manifested in signs, wonders, and miracles all over our house. In the name of Jesus, we welcome you, we receive you, we thank you, we bless you. You're welcome in our houses. Thank you, Father God, for showing forth yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. We receive your grace, grace upon grace, right now, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Jesus, we welcome you. We invite you afresh. Come into our hearts. Come into our homes. Come into our dwelling places. Come into our place of abode. Have your way. Move by your spirit. You are welcome, Lord God. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you for these days of setting aside ourselves to seek your face. Thank you for visiting us. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for revealing yourselves to us. We bless you. We honor you. We praise you. Thank you for your people. Lord God, as we go home, that you strengthen them that you give Johnny mercies. We thank you. We bless you that we are strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner man. And God, we look for a glorious tomorrow to express our praise and our thanksgiving to a great God of the universe. Thank you for being a great God. We bless you now. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Good night.